Today we have a really special guest, a good friend of ours, Chong Kim. She is a survivor of sexual abuse and human trafficking and now a speaker and an author. And she's got movies and TV shows out and all kinds of crazy stuff she's doing. And Chong, we're so glad you're with us today. And as we were texting a little bit before uh, we called you, you had said that some crazy things happened this week. Did you want to share a little bit about that? Hey, I had a incident yesterday and I thought it would be a great time to share it. Because a guy was complimenting me, and I told him to stop. And then he said that I was prude and that I need to learn to take compliments. Hmm. And then I thought to myself, you know, I don't think we've actually talked about what is considered a compliment and what is considered an insult. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so how did you take that? I told him that when I tell him to stop, he needs to honor that regardless. What he perceives as a compliment, I may not see that as a compliment. Yeah. And I said, please respect my no and don't continue. And then did he? He did. So I walked out and he was, you know, screaming and yelling at me. And Ooh. two other guys jumped in. They're like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I'm fine. And But I didn't realize how much it shook me up that I was just like, oh, my gosh. Because he was basically saying things like, oh, I love Chinese women, and I'm not Chinese. So I was already on the defense. Yeah. (laughs) He wasn't taking your cues that he needed to back off, and you were feeling uncomfortable. Exactly. Well, I'm proud of you for then taking it farther and really, I mean... You've clearly found your voice. I mean, to be able to talk about your own story and speak so publicly um, about, you know, sexual violence and exploitation is amazing. But then sometimes it's not easy when you're in a coffee shop and somebody's speaking to you inappropriately. I mean, Mary and I have been in these situations often and there's times when I need her to be my voice because sometimes I clam up and I'm just like, I don't even know what to do anymore. And then other times I know I've done it for her so that you've had to do it for your own self. Um, I'm really proud of you for that and and glad that you walked out. And it's funny because, you know, when you were saying clamming up, that's what I did the first time. Because at first I was like, wait a minute, is this really happening to me? Yeah, well, and I think it's good and goes back to what you said is respect my no and If someone's not doing that, the good thing is you're allowed to get up and walk away and you're not forced to sit there and listen to it. Exactly. But the crazy thing is when I was sharing it to some of my friends, I thought their feedback was really odd from both genders. A couple of guys were like, where was he? I want to go kick his ass. (laughs) And then some of the other guy friends were like, well, you shouldn't go alone. Well, am I not allowed to go to a coffee shop anymore? Right. You know, it it, it right. stems back to that stigma of, oh, no, I shouldn't have gone there mm-hmm. or I shouldn't have worn this right. or I shouldn't have looked this way. Mm-hmm. But then that's still blaming the victim. And we need to educate ourselves in the public eye that saying, you know what? He crossed that line. You're exactly right. I think that that victim blaming is still so very prevalent and and even with all the stuff that we're seeing in the media and all the stories that are coming out, yes. I mean, people still are victim blaming. And and just like you said, you know, well, sh- maybe she shouldn't have been there. Or she shouldn't have gone alone. She shouldn't have been wearing that. I was just talking yesterday with a university counselor and he was telling me how at their school they just started this new campaign uh, where 
It's called, I think, What I Was Wearing. And they have people who have been victimized. They actually donate the clothes that they were wearing the night of their victimization. And it just goes to show you how it can be. It can range from all kinds of different outfits. And, of course, no matter what you're wearing, it doesn't. It doesn't say that you deserve sexual assault. And so I just thought that was a very interesting thing. And I, I, I'd like to learn more about that campaign. But I, I get what you're saying. And I think you're exactly right. It doesn't matter where we're going. <laughs> no one deserves to be talked to in that way. And, and I'm sorry that happened to you, Chong. And that's why I thought, you know, this would be a great way to bring it up. Because I know that there are women out there, when they're being approached by someone like this, then they wonder... And especially when other people who are friends and family who means well, and they tell her, oh, well, maybe I should go with you next time. Or maybe you should not go at night. Or maybe you shouldn't go in that part of town. There shouldn't be any shouldn't. Yeah, maybe the guy shouldn't have said that. That's the only thing that needs to be said. Maybe he should not have gone there with you verbally. Well, even some of my female friends said the same thing. And that's what shocked me. Yeah. I think women want to feel in a way that they can control what happens to them. And so by saying, well, maybe you should have done this or, you know, not gone alone or whatever, there's a feeling there of if I make the right decisions, then I'm going to be able to prevent this. When in essence, yep. it's not on us to prevent it. We can do preventative things, but it's up to a perpetrator to choose not to abuse. Exactly. And I was actually really happy about because I was at Starbucks and they were really, really nice. They asked me if I was OK. Do I need anything? Do do I need to call the police? Yeah. I was like, that really flattered me knowing that they were strangers and they were supporting me. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you had that little army surrounding you uh, to fight back because that feels good when you feel that support right there in the moment. Yeah. But it just shows we have to keep doing what we're doing, Chong. We are in this fight for a reason, you know, because this is an ongoing battle. And we do. We have to educate people and we have to change people's understanding of what, you know, sexual harassment looks like, what consent is, how to respect women. um, And then, of course, with your own story, just being brave enough to find our voice and um, and and seek freedom. And I'm I'm so proud of you. I would love for you to share just a very quick uh, summary of your story. But I really want to focus also on how we can be a solution uh, to modern day slavery and some of your insights there. Could you share just a little bit? I know that your story um, has been even to the big screen, Chong. You, your story um, was made to a movie. It's called Eden, and you're doing great things with that. So please share a little bit about your film and and also just your story. So I am an Asian American. I was born in Korea, but I came here as a toddler. And you know, I grew up with domestic violence and sexual abuse since the age of three. And by the time I was 19, I met a guy that actually bought his Marine uniform at an Army surplus store. So he actually wasn't a Marine. But when you're 19, you don't think about that. You see a guy in uniform, you're like, ooh, he's cute. And so we dated for a couple of weeks. I didn't know what a healthy relationship looked like. And so that's when he said, hey, I want to take you to Florida to go meet my parents. And I'm thinking, okay, this is cool. He likes me. But I didn't end up in Florida. 
I left Dallas, Texas, and I ended up in northern Nevada on an Indian reservation. And that's how I got trafficked. Mm. And then from there, I had to rank up as a madam because in the 90s, nobody heard about human trafficking. And so from the cops to the first responders, they all saw women like me as prostitutes. Even if we had bruises on our bodies and we said we want out, Mm. nobody rescued us. They're like, oh, well, you put yourself in that, so that's kind of your own fault. And so... After that, I was like, you know what? Screw this. And that's when I strategized my escape so that I could find a way to get out. And even if that meant having to be a female trafficker, which may be hard to swallow for other people, but this underground ring, it's not like you can say, okay, well, you already used me, so I'm going to walk out the door. It doesn't work that way. They know that you know everything. Mm -hmm. And so you have to be able to show how faithful you are to them and that you're no longer a threat. And that's what I had to do. Mm. And I didn't think about sharing with anybody because I was ashamed for many, many years. And in 1997, I escaped. Then I got clean in 2000. I was addicted to cocaine, meth, and crack cocaine. Wow. And then in 2003, I started volunteering as a legal advocate for domestic violence. But when they talked about human trafficking, my first thought was, are they throwing women out of the cars while they're beating them? You know, I had no idea. You'd never heard that term before. No. Wow. I never did. And so when they brought a Russian girl and she was sharing her story, I started bawling my eyes. I'm like, oh, my goodness. This happened to me. And I remember a college student, and this was at the U of M in Minnesota. She asked, she said, can American women or girls be trafficked? And the three women that were considered experts, they said, no, it doesn't happen to American women. And I stood up and I said, I'm sorry, but I disagree with you. And they looked at me and they said, who are you? What's your expertise? And I said, it happened to me. But no and behold, I told her I'm an American. She called INS on me, immigration. And so immigration was like, oh, well, we heard that you're just doing human trafficking. You get a visa. And I thought it was a credit card. And so when they realized that I'm an Asian American, then they're like, oh, well, you don't qualify. And I said, wait a minute, I don't understand. Mm -hmm. So basically, to put in layman terms, you can have two Caucasian girls. One will be from Sweden. And the other one will be from Ohio. They're both 13 years old. They're both being beamed and raped and exploited by the same trafficker. But the girl from Sweden, she'll get legal advocacy, social services, caseworker, shelter, food, everything. Guess what happened to our American girl in Ohio? Mm. She gets arrested and thrown into juvie and is charged as a child prostitute. So when I heard that, I got angry. And so from that point on, I started speaking everywhere that people were willing to listen. I was on Montel. I was on CNBC. I was on MSNBC, Huffington Post Live, BBC, the UK. I mean, I went everywhere. And that's when the filmmakers came to me and they said, oh, my gosh, we want to do a story on your life. And I was like, okay. But I didn't think it was ever going to happen. And so when the film came out in 2012, I was really excited. But at the same time, 
I had a lot of anxiety because I was not used to the public figure life. Yeah. Chong, you've been open about your faith playing a role in your healing. Would love to hear more about that. And also, has that helped you have a stronger backbone when it comes to haters and people who want to discount what you've gone through? I grew up Catholic. Um, now I'm a non-denomination. And, but when I was younger, I didn't know who God was. And the way I was raised, and this is no uh, fault to the Catholic Church, it depends on the person who teaches you. So I was told that God hated bad little girls. So I was a slut and a whore because I was sexually abused at three. Mm. So growing up, I thought God hated me. So I didn't care about God. But as I was going through my struggles, even from recovering, recovering from drugs, recovering from my abuse, that's when I saw God the most. And I even had people who are atheists or agnostic, and they'll tell me, I don't understand. You were abused in the church. And I was like, no, I was abused by people who went to church with me. So now I correct. That's a really good perspective, Chong. I feel like there's so many survivors that we run into that, you know, were abused in the church and they equate these people with God. They, because they were the person that maybe led them to Christ or, you know, they had faith. They, they can't understand how someone who could maybe, you know, love Jesus or, or know God at that level could choose to perpetrate against them, which I I don't understand that either. However, I do understand that they are human and God is God. And so it's neat to hear you say that, that you were able to separate that. And that was important for your healing and your faith today. Exactly. And the other biggest component were other people that were Christ-like that helped me. I had three college age guys. This is in 1997. And they reached out to me, and I didn't understand what a healthy platonic friendship was, especially with a man. Yeah. And so everything in my mind was sexual. So I was like, oh, have you ever been with an Asian girl? I can make your your night, you know, and they're like, stop. You know, I was like, what? Wait, 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 wait. You're not allowed to say stop, you know, because I never heard that word. And they would tell me, Chong, God loves you. And they was like, who are you? And what type of God are you talking about? <laughs> you know? And it was at a college Christian campus. And this was in 1997. And even the school threatened to expel the guys if they did not kick me out. And mm-hmm. it was the first time I actually saw them stand up to me. And they're like, wow. we're not kicking her out. If we're supposed to be the Christians that you say that we are, then we are supposed to be out there and helping women like her and their love for God Mm -hmm. made me realize, you know what? Not all men are bad. Mm. It helped me to reappreciate men in general. Wow. Yeah. I know that there are good men out there. Yeah. And also to help realign my faith because I was like, what is this type of Christianity? Wow. I also went through a lot of torture where I remember saying, God, I hate you. Mm. And I remember feeling like that God was covering me. I know that sounds crazy for people who've never experienced this, but this is something that you just cannot forget. I remember feeling warmth while I was being, you know, uh, held down. And Mm. I remember feeling every prick and sting. I remember feeling like I'm going to throw up. Mm. I was hyperventilating. I felt numb. 
And during that time, I didn't believe in God. So I said, okay, God, I guess I'm going to die. So leave me alone. If I die, I don't want to be in heaven with you. And I don't want to go to hell. But just leave my soul alone. I'm tired. And then I said, goodbye, God. And I closed my eyes. Mm. And I remember feeling that warmth all of a sudden. And I was like, wait a minute. Is this normal? I don't understand. (laughs) Yeah. And I remember sharing it to a doctor you know, years later when I told her, and she said, God put his hand on you. And I'm like, no, not me. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I was like, I, I, I've i been labeled as a bad girl. And then she was the one who showed me the Bible about Rahab, Esther, Mary Magdalene. Mm. And she said, God loves women like you. Mm. She said, it is the enemy that hates women like you. Yeah. And I just bawled my eyes out. I'm like, I am them, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, and so, and that's why, you know, my faith keeps me grounded. I pray all the time, and um, so that has helped me, and even with the haters, when I was defamed in 2014, it hurt. Oh. I went to crawl up in the corner. I went to ball, and a part of me was like, screw this. Mm. I don't want to be... I don't want to be a public figure if people are going to continuously attack me. Right. But That's then hard. I felt like God was saying, it is. When you're being, when you're being slut-shamed, when you're having people send you messages saying, die, be die, you know, you're a whore, you're this, you know. But I will say this. If the slander did not happen, this next project of my TV series mm-hmm. would not have happened either. Is that right? Because I was angry. Yeah. And I said, God, you got me out of this. What am I going? Because that's all I needed to do was to do public speaking. I didn't know how to do anything else. Mm. And I felt like God was whispering, write. Write your anger down. And then so I did. Wow. So I wrote up to eight seasons. Of a scripted series about a survivor who works along the FBI to teach them how to think like a trafficker Mm. so they can rescue kids. Wow. And it's called Every 40 Seconds. I hired a PR firm in L.A. and we're going to pitch it to Netflix, Hulu, production companies. So we're needing a lot of prayers. We're needing um, funding for pre-production because some of them will want a sizzle will, and it can range anywhere between 1500 up to 10000 So, I mean, I've been working on this since 2014, wow. and this is what drives me. So when people were coming up and attacking your story and, and saying that it wasn't yes. true or whatever, it first sent you to the closet, and you wanted to not be yes. a voice anymore, but then something in you rose up, and yes. then that... That's where you began writing. That's really interesting. I think I'm I'm similar. And when I'm feeling really down or struggling emotionally, I do things like write or draw. And I think a lot of my creativity can come out when I'm really hurting um, the most. And that's very interesting. So out of that pain, you have put together an entire TV show. <laughs> that's very cool. What's it called again? It's called Every 40 Seconds. And the cool thing is at the end of every episode, I added scripture. I didn't want this to be a typical Christian show mm-hmm. because we're going to talk about prostitution. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about sexual abuse. Right. We're going to talk about drugs. But Christians need to be talking about that stuff. <laughs> Ex- 
Exactly. But one of the things I wanted to also develop, because one of the things I noticed in our community is that we are divided from Christians and secular. And I want to bring that together. Mm. I want to have a conversation. You don't have to agree with me, Mm. but just join me in the fight. Mm. Hold my hand and say, it'll be okay. Mm. And we'll march together. I've heard you say on a number of occasions that you think unity is what is going to help us end sexual exploitation. Absolutely. Because when we look at the way the traffickers formulate their business, they're in unity. And we have to be a stronger unity in order to fight them. With all these separate nonprofits, faith-based, even survivors, we're attacking each other. We're like, no, I'm better than you. No, I'm better than you. No, I need more funding. No, I need more funding. That needs to stop. We don't realize we're letting them win, and they're probably watching us laughing. We're the laughing stock. And so when I saw the Me Too movement, I'll be honest with you, I was like, hell yeah. But people had these mixed you know, opinions about it. They're like, oh, you're angry women, you're this, you're that. And it's like, yeah, we are angry, but don't put me in a stereotype that you think I am because you don't know my journey. Mm-hmm. You don't know my walk. Mm-hmm. You don't know my faith. Mm. You know, and so now I always tell people that my weapon is my voice and my shield is my faith. Amen, sister. So we only have a few minutes left. I'm interested in hearing more about when you think about our churches and we have so many people who really do care about this issue, but they don't know where to start. And I'm just wondering from your perspective, you know, you've been there, you've been in the brothels, you've been tortured, you feared for your life. You worked in Las Vegas and and watched these teen girls being sold. And I think about people who are tourists and they're going to Las Vegas. How could they have had the eyes that needed to see what was happening? Or would that not have even mattered? What can we do to be a part of the solution from a perspective of someone who's been there and probably had hoped for a rescue, but, you know, you have blind people walking around the streets and not even having a clue as to what to do to help you. First and foremost, that I would strongly encourage, and I've said this multiple times, whether it's a church, a community group, or even a PTA, don't just do conferences. Because conferences is only a once a year thing. Create a either a monthly workshop, a monthly get together, bring on survivors and bring on law enforcement so we can have a dialogue. So we can come up with solutions together. So that way we can say, Okay, this is what happened to me, but this is also what happened to this girl named Carolyn. We had both different backgrounds. We were both abducted in a different way. She was online. I was in person. I met a guy at a club. She met a guy on Instagram. So how do we combat this issue? And you use the community to also help you think. And then you get people to sign up to volunteer. You bring on nonprofits to bring their tables so that way they can sell items to raise money for the nonprofit, what they can do how we can be a community service, basically. Because all I've been seeing more and more is that we're just doing conferences. We're not creating a workshop. 
Did you know that the women lead voters, they meet about twice a month to talk about voting registration and the voting rights for women. We need to formulate that either through church, as a community, or as a PTA mom going to our schools and saying, look, we need to talk about this because you guys are watching our kids. What are you going to do when a man who's dressed up as a cop comes into your school and says, I need to take out, I need to take Nicole's son because his mom called me, but you don't know if he's real or not. I don't care that he has a badge. What are some protocols that the school has as a backup plan? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Why just this kid? Did you know? Did the school check on other family members that are on Nicole's list? Do they need to verify, or are they just going to trust this man because he's in the uniform? You have to think like a criminal in order to combat that criminal. So if I want to take a kid, I'm going to dress up like a first responder. It's scary. It's like we can't trust anyone anymore. Yes, and it's really sad. Mm -hmm. But that's my first and foremost advice. Mm -hmm. And and I strongly suggest that. Create a community solution. Mm -hmm. You know, start formulating an actual group that is dedicated to going to hotels, going to restaurants, going to spas. And saying, look, I'm here for you. I'm not here to judge. But if you need an out, we are here. Mm. Gather up attorneys that you know that go to churches, that is willing to do pro bono or low fees to help these undocumented workers to stay in America because they were trafficked and that they won't be deported. These are things because people, you know, always say, oh, well, good luck with that. I'm not in social services. So I ask them, well, what do you do? Yeah, because everybody needs, every community needs a group of people who will just rise up and just do whatever they can. And I'm thinking specifically, before we go, I wanted to get some of your insights because I think you have more than most when it comes to, you know, the local massage parlors that are fronts for human trafficking. I know... At least I think I, I think I heard that you were involved in shutting some of those down in the past. Yes. Because they're everywhere. They're in my town. They're in your town. They're in every listener's yes. town that's listening today. What can we do to begin that? I mean, we've shut some down here where I live. But when you shut one down, another one pops up. And it just seems like yep. a never-ending battle. Do you have any advice on that for just you know, the typical community member, what can we do? Is there hope for change? Talk to us to the council mm-hmm. and tell them that there are businesses that are erupting in your neighborhood that you feel is a detriment to your children's welfare. I did a research on 10 different schools. I did a couple of schools in Illinois, in Chicago. I also did a couple of them in San Diego. I also did a few of them here in Dallas. And guess what the consistency was? Sex industry are less than two miles from any school. So we need to start changing legislation and making sure that any sex industry, I don't care if it's legal or not, that any sex industry business should not be anywhere near a school or a church Mm -hmm. where children are accessible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If they have the same rules for sex offenders, they need to have the same rules for these businesses because they have no business in being around school. Right. And I did a research on that. And so, but as far as like these businesses keep popping up, talk to the real, real estate, the commercial real estate. Ask them, are you aware of this? 
do a march, you know, advertise in your town saying, hey, commercial real estate, this is human trafficking that you're a part of. Contact the Department of Labor saying, hey, there's a commercial real estate that keeps popping up these businesses, and I have concern. So listed on rubmaps.com. You can go to that website, click on your city and town, and then look up all the massage parlors that give happy ending services. You'd be shocked that if you thought it was just a foot massage, nope. I went to a nail salon to get a pedicure, and I asked the lady, and I do this all the time. I'll pretend that I need to use a restroom, and I'll be lost. Yeah. And I'll pretend to be lost. Because I want to see what's in the back room. Oh, yeah, girl. No, I think more people need to be doing that. I can see me and Nicole the next time we go yeah. to the slide. Oops, what's going on back here? Okay, just just check it, check it around. Exactly. And so I saw a massage table. And they said, oh, you give massage? And they said, no. And I was like, really? Then why do you have a massage table in a towel in a basket underneath the massage table? Right. Red flags. Yep. And this was a nail salon. Those are good. Those are really good pieces of advice. I think, you know, it's a good starting point for a lot of people who want to know what to do. They feel helpless. They feel like it's way too big of a problem for them to get involved. But really, you have to start locally. And, you know, you and I are voices worldwide, but we can't be in every little community. And that's why we all need, like you said, we need unity. U-N-I-T-Y. Yes, U-N-I-T-Y. (laughs) So we need people to step up and be a voice where they're at. And that is really encouraging. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Chong. This has been really fun to catch up with you again. I know this isn't going to be the last time. So looking forward to your TV show and just wish you the very, very best. I want to quickly announce to let everyone know my book is on sale for 10 Dollars, You get glow-in-the-dark bracelet, you Ooh. get a pin, and you get a poster and a bumper sticker that says, help me stop human trafficking. Yes. I created bumper stickers that has the 1-800 human trafficking hotline. Great. If we have more of that, I think that would be great. I because then too. people will see it in people's bumper. And where can people find you online, Chong? They can actually find me on my website, Kim. Dot com. You can buy my book there, click on the holiday sale, but you'll get the whole package. And it's only a limited time. These are pre-orders because we're mailing them out before Christmas. And you can also email me if you want to order through email for bulk orders or whatever. It's Chong, C-H-O-N-G, at IamChongKim.com. We'll, we'll check you out. And we appreciate you so much, Chong. Keep doing the great work you're doing, okay? Thank you. God bless you, friend. Bye-bye. God bless you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe, write a review if you heard something you liked, even invite others to listen so we can be on this healing journey together. You can check us out on Facebook or go to IamOneVoice.org.